0: Welcome to the Feedgrass for Good podcast, brought to you by Hustler Equipment, the world's most innovative livestock feeding equipment. Each episode, we talk with a different sustainable farmer or expert in sustainable farming. This is our pilot episode, and we're kicking it off with a conversation with Lily Barringer, the 24-year-old head of Barringer Family Farms, a farm-to-table operation in Cascade, Iowa.
1: So, Behringer Family Farms is what we are called. We're located in Cascade, Iowa, which is kind of the northeast corner of Iowa. My grandfather is the one that kind of started farming Behringer Farms in the 1950s. And then my uncle and my dad farmed together with my grandpa when he was here. And then when grandpa passed away in 2014, my uncle kind of just rented out his farm and kind of just retired. And then my dad was just kind of the one that was in charge of keeping the farm going. I, I guess my punishment growing up was actually having to stay inside. I've just always been that little girl that's always just been outside, whether I was with grandpa, going to cattle sales or checking cows or opening gates or really anything. I just kind of was outside on the farm. And then I went to school at Blackhawk in Kewanee, Illinois, my first two years, and then I transferred to Iowa State and I graduated with a Bachelor of Animal Science degree. My junior year summer, I had an internship with Perina, I was a beef feed sales intern. At one of the co ops that was like 40 minutes from my hometown. And so then that is what led into my full time position with Prina Animal Nutrition. And I'm just fortunate enough that the two, I guess, co ops that I'm assigned to work out of are right around my home area. I was able to move home from, move home once I graduated college. Two January's ago, so January of 2020, or a year ago, I guess, it, my grandma passed away and our family's estate had to get divided then and so we had to buy the farms that we've taken care of our whole entire life or it's just gone. So in March of 2020 is when I actually closed on my first farm. So I bought my grandparents' home, home farm. It's 110 acres and that's actually where all of our pasture ground is for my cows. So I um, I bought the farm and I had to expand from 10 cows to 60 cows in order for the cash flow to somewhat be able to work in order to make my loan payment. And so, um, that also then kind of stemmed into like, we finished out our own calves, but I also had this whole beef business in the back of my head. So then I got 40 fall cows too. So we calve at two different times of the year. So our spring herd, starts calving in March till like the first part of May. And then our fall herd starts calving like September through October. If you're not familiar with Iowa and the weather pattern, we 100% have the four seasons Um, spring, summer, fall, and winter. In the springtime and throughout the summer, our cows with their calves are out on grass, grazing on pasture, just basically living the life out there. But then once we come into October, November time, into the fall season, all of our grass in Iowa becomes dormant and it doesn't grow anymore. And so, Obviously, if there's not no feed out that they are left for them, we have to have a different supplementation for them. So then, um, another thing I guess just specific to Iowa is it's we're like one of the largest corn producing states in the United States. So we grow a lot of corn. So an advantage to us is we have just basically an unlimited amount of resources as far as feed for our cattle. So um, yes, throughout the summer when the grass is growing and everything, everything's on grass eating pasture. But then once we wean and they get put in a yard, their primary diet is composed with corn. So it's just, here it's available. It's one of our cheapest things to feed, and it just does what it needs to. And they're efficient. They convert. They have start getting their marbling and fat put on, and so um, we finish all of our cattle out as corn. So I would say that we're um, they're grown on grass, and then they are finished on corn. Basically, our calves get weaned and they get put into a yard um, that is a cement yard, and it has a shed, a big shed for weather protection safety because in the fall coming into winter, we have very crucial, like excruciating cold temperatures. Actually today it's only two degrees Fahrenheit, but we have a wind shell of 40 degrees right now. And so um there's just no way that they could just be out in the open. I mean, it's just not for their well being to be out there because it's just so cold. So we have a shed that we bed and keep clean and nice fresh bedding for them throughout the winter because it's just very, you know, very cold out, which that's where we're at right now is winter. Um there's three to four feet of snow on the ground right now. It's actually supposed to snow every day next week. <laughs> so uh, winter. Um, but then when we come into the spring, we get a lot of rainfall. So well, usually usually it's very, very wet. And so um the grass isn't quite ready yet to be grazed on because we're coming out of winter, but it's super wet and muddy out. So that's kind of one reason why all of our cattle are on cement, because we can at least scrape and keep their yard clean. Otherwise they just would be standing in like knee high mud all of the time because of just how up and down our weather is here in Iowa. Um, so uh, we get a lot of rain and that needs a shed as well to get them out of that. And then just, Cement is just needed in Iowa because of how much moisture that we get. And then as we come into the heat of the summer, it can get 95, 100 degrees with the humidity level of like 40%. So it's just excruciating heat also. So we just get the best of both worlds in every single season. So we also in our buildings have fans and different curtains that help with airflow throughout the summer too. So it really just depends on the weather as far as how we adjust with our building situations to keep the animals the most comfy way possible. I learned a lot in like the main principles and just different practices that my grandparent, that my grandpa did. We still try to keep into account, but also you know, we aren't farming in four generations ago. We are now in the 20th century and things change and you need to change because the margins are so, so, so thin that you have to be open for change. You have to be open to advance in different practices, different technologies, do different things that you're more efficient. It's a little bit less work or you're just able to be more economical on it. So there's a couple different things that maybe are a little bit different than what my grandpa did so when grandpa was here all of our cattle were in yards but they never a lot of them were in open sheds or basically open yards is what we'd say it. so they didn't have a building or anything to get out of the winds so that's something that we have built and added since grandpa has passed away and it was just a beneficial thing for us to do because the heat in the summer, if there's not any shade or area for them to get out, that hinders cattle performance. And for one, they just sit out there. We'd have to run sprinklers, and they just weren't comfortable. So, um, and then also in the in the winter, it's really hard if they didn't have any other way to get out of it. So, at the end of the day, it improves our cattle husbandry and the the way that they perform um, by adding that. So that's something that we've done. Another thing that I have recently started adding and implementing is different cover crops into our farming practices. So that's probably a little bit different than what three, four generations ago, nothing, no cover crops or anything like that were implemented. But we're really trying to start focusing on no-till um, and adding different cover crops and species into our ground just to build the organic matter into it, help with like erosion and soil health through that. and also really, I have cows. So a way that is better for the overall soil health, but ways that I can extend my grazing season on my cows and being able to have them work for me, not I work for them. You know, So that's something we did this fall. Um, we did a 60-inch rows where we interseeded some cover crops that when the corn went through, when the combine went through to combine the corn, the cover crops were there and prevalent. So instead of the cows coming off pasture and having to go right into um, a field, we're able to graze our our corn stalks and the cover crops that are in there. So I guess we would kind of be saying we're like double cropping is a term for it. So we're basically maximizing the use of our ground more than just by using one crop in it. So we have two, and then we're able to put our cattle on it as well to graze that and get nutritional value out of it. So just trying to figure out ways that we can just maximize our inputs and outputs in the ground that we do have. So instead of just being just corn or just beans or just hay, try and implement ways that we can utilize the ground more than just one time. I mean, it it protects our topsoil. It builds the soil microbes underneath. It reduces compaction and soil erosion. Just not having that tractor go across the field and just rip it up, you know? So um, that's definitely something completely different than what my grandpa did, but that's kind of the route that we're going because it's just better for it's better for our soil, it's better for our land, it's better for the long-term effects because you know we only have a certain amount of land here so we might as well take care of it. (laughs) The family farm is a dying thing unfortunately and um, everybody you know you're getting like the factory farm terms and all this jazz and at the end of the day, like, it's so important to know where your food's coming from and what, how it was raised and how it got there. And so it takes people like me and other people being out there, like raising their voice and sharing their story because the gap between the consumer and the farmer is growing every single day. And so we need to figure out different ways to still educate people on how we're doing it and why we're doing it and why it is a just safe, sustainable, healthy product that you can eat and trust. (laughs) Farming practices and our whole agriculture industry and basically our whole world is changing every single day. And so you have to be willing to change and kind of revolve to how our ever change or world is changing. And so I just feel like at the end of of the day, it's just from a lack of, they just don't really know and understand why those certain practices are happening. I think a lot of it is really just, it's, it's that gap and it's just a lack of education on the matter. And there's just so many different headlines out there. And there's just so many different ways that people get their information that it can get turned or twisted in a hurry and that's just that stuff just really breaks my heart when that's out there and you see that because you're like no that's not how it is it's not what we do i don't purposely hurt my animals <laughs> so but i don't really know what the real answer is to like have to change that i do think that there has to be a lot of people just have to be more open and willing to change things or at least just share um The family farm thing, there is more older generations farming than new. And so, as that older generation keeps going on, I would say they are not as willing and open to how the change is because I've been doing it this way for how many years, yada, yada, yada. Well, if we want to keep the farming thing going, You have to try to help a young person that wants to go get started and you have to be a little bit more open for those type of changes. And so it's just, there's a lot of different moving parts and there's not just one cure-all way to fix it, I would say. My whole goal someday is obviously that I'll be able to farm (laughs) full-time. So my whole beef gig is hopefully what's going to be able to get me there because that's, I'm diversifying myself and I think that's gonna be like our little niche. There's just a lot of initial inputs and there's a lot of um, risk that takes place when you first get started, just because you're just so like financially struck with so many upfront costs that you have to try to get paid down before you can kind of get into the flow of things. And if our markets were more consistent and actually were within profitable ranges more times than not, that would help. Not saying that I, I 100% love my job and what I do every single day, but at the end of the day, you have to have your goal and what you want to do. And I guess that's where I stand with it. So we'll see. Uh, I would say I'm, my goal is hopefully 10 years. Let's hope maybe it's sooner than that. I love what I do. I'm super passionate about it. And I take a lot of pride in the way that we do things. And you know, if anybody has any questions, just ask us. Like we we love and want, to be able to share our story. So um, our website is BehringerFamilyFarms.com and we have a Facebook and Instagram and that is also Behringer Family Farms.
0: Thanks a bunch, Lily, for being our first guest on our fledgling podcast. If you'd like to know more about Lily, or even better, buy some delicious dry-aged Angus beef directly from Beringer Family Farms, go to beringerfamilyfarms.com. You can also find Lily on Facebook and Instagram at Beringer Family Farms. And if you're looking to level up your livestock feeding game, visit Hustler Equipment at hustlerequipment.com. And to see all the sustainable farming articles in the Feedgrass for Good blog, you can go to hustlerequipment.com/slash. Finally, if you like this episode, please smash those five stars and give us a glowing review. It will help other people interested in sustainable farming find us. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.